The rules of bigotry, according to the left, they're a constantly shifting, beautiful kaleidoscope of stupid crap. This week, we learned that if you don't want your small daughter peeing next to a giant man who thinks he's a woman, you're a bigot. If you're a woman who's slightly uncomfortable with a man who thinks he is a woman whipping out his penis to urinate in front of you, you're also a bigot. If you're a religious person who doesn't want to participate in an activity you consider sinful, you're also a bigot. Now, on the other hand, if you're a man who thinks you're a woman and you want to force a small girl to pee next to you, you are fighting for freedom. If you're a large man who thinks he's a woman and you want to be one of the girls and hulk right down onto the Macy's ladies' room, you are a hero. And if you are a gay man and you want to force a religious person to serve you, you are also a hero. Now, if all of this seems slightly weird, that's because it is. First of all, it's logically incoherent. The left insists that a man who thinks he is a woman must be treated as one, even if his biology says he's a dude. However, if a man believes he's a man, he can't discuss vital issues of national import like abortion because he lacks the vital prerequisite, a womb. Men cannot understand women, the logic runs, unless they are women. But men cannot be women, of course, except in the fevered imaginations of crazy people on the left. And even the left doesn't really believe this. Leftists simultaneously want to enshrine unchangeable sexual differences, even though, according to them, men and womenly are, are, can, can shift places all the time. And then they want to deny that the differences exist in the first place. So if you're talking about abortion, men and women are inherently different, can't change it. If you're talking about Caitlyn Jenner having a twig and berries, Caitlyn Jenner's still a woman. This is nonsense, you say. Shut up, they say. In the end, leftists don't have to be coherent, they just have to control the government gun. Now, the baseline definition of freedom in Western civilization has been this. You don't get to force me to serve you, and you don't get to force me to think the way you want me to think. As follows, you cannot force me to think that you are a woman if you are a biological man. You can't force me to spend my taxpayer dollars to pretend along with your mental illness. You can't force me to run my business as you see fit because I don't have a duty to you. The left doesn't believe in freedom except the freedom to destroy the right. So leftists believe Bruce Springsteen has an absolute right to pick the people for whom he performs in North Carolina, but bakers in North Carolina can't pick the people to whom they cater if they're same-sex couples. The left believes the government must compel higher pay rates for women, but government should compel men to be treated as women based on their subjective feelings on the subject. This magical kaleidoscope of morality never stops shifting, but in the end, there's only one moral that counts. The left's ultimate insistence on use of government force to compel that we all obey their kaleidoscopic morality. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So, a lot breaking in the news. Uh, the Alexander Hamilton remains on the $10 bill. Apparently, Andrew Jackson is off the 20 and he's been replaced with Harriet Tubman. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the New York primaries at great length. Length that will make my producers want to bash their head against the wall. We'll talk about all of that. But first, we have to say hello to our friends at Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College, a great institution, and an institution, it's not just for your kid. It's not just you should send your kid to Hillsdale. If you are in a different college, or, you are, or you're a teenager, or you're a kid, or you're an adult, and you just want to learn more about the Constitution, go to hillsdale.edu slash Ben. Right now, they have a course there called Presidency and the Constitution. It talks about the fact that the presidency is not, in fact, a monarchy. It's not the seat of ultimate power in the United States. There are actual divisions of power, and the Constitution lays those forth. Hillsdale teaches you how those works. Hillsdale.edu slash Ben for the free course. You go there, you register. They send it right to your inbox. Very cool. And they have a lot of other courses you'll want to check out as well. It's Hillsdale.edu slash Ben. Okay, so Donald Trump ends up the big winner last night, as we thought would happen, because New Yorkers, being the tough-minded, intelligent people they are, had to vote for their own version of George Wallace. It was imperative. 
They, 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 just to show how sophisticated they are, they had to vote for an old sack of crap lying con man on the right and an old sack of crap lying con woman on the left. This really shows that, that New Yorkers really get it. Right? New Yorkers are really sophisticated. And Donald Trump was super happy about all this. By the way, whenever New Yorkers claim that they're really sophisticated, that they're, just, that they're the most sophisticated people, they have a long history, a long history of voting for stupid nonsense, going all the way back to when they abstained from the vote on the, re- the Declaration of Independence, going all the way back then to voting for Horatio Seymour, a Democrat in the middle of the Civil War, right? somebody who didn't want to be in the Civil War, who opposed Lincoln actively. And they voted, New York voted for him in the middle of the Civil War to Teddy Roosevelt, the father of progressivism, to FDR, to Robert F. Kennedy, who wasn't even from New York, he was from Massachusetts, leading Tom Lehrer, the comedian, to say Massachusetts is the only state with three governors, right? This is with three senators. Um, yeah, New York has a long history of this. We're voting for Hillary Clinton, who has only visited New York, but then it was her home state. Voting for Bill de Blasio, who's an open communist. Voting for the Cuomos. They have a long history of voting for absolutely bizarre people and then claiming that this is just because they're sophisticated and they understand things. Well, the latest sophisticate for whom they voted was this bloviating old con man, Donald Trump. And Trump is now in good position to win the nomination. Now, as I said before, you know, there are really three scenarios here. One is Trump doesn't get the numbers at the convention. It goes to Cruz. Trump doesn't get the con- number two is he gets to the convention. He doesn't have the numbers. It goes to some third party. And the final is he gets the numbers. And there are two ways he can get the numbers. One is he can outright win 1,237 delegates. The conventional wisdom has been he needs to get all the way there because delegates don't like Donald Trump. That's beginning to change. Politico has a piece today basically stating, as I've been claiming now for a couple of weeks, that the establishment are beginning to make peace with the idea of a Trump nomination. They're beginning to swallow the idea of a Trump nomination, that Trump's dueling theories of I'm a victim and also I'm going to threaten you to burn down your convention if I don't get what I want. This has scared the Republican establishment into compliance. They believe that if Trump is stopped now, that the the party will be broken and all they care about is not the future. All they care about is this year. All they care about is this election cycle because that's how they make their money. If Trump is ousted, then presumably all the Trump people go away, Republicans lose, and they don't get to make a lot of money off the Trump people. If the Trump people win, everybody falls into line, and they get to make all of their money, and and roll. And, and then it's a win-win for them. If Trump wins, then they get to deal with him, because the truth is that aside from being a nut job, he's establishment. Um, but number two, and when I say establishment, I mean his politics are the politics of the establishment, making deals with Democrats, cutting deals with, with members of the establishment, ad hoc policy. This is something that, that the, the Republican establishment is comfortable with. If he wins, they can live with that and claim victory. If he loses, then they can say, oh, it was those crazy anti-establishment Tea Party right-wingers who gave us Trump in the first place. Now let's go back to the, the halcyon era of the Bushes. Let's find George P. Bush and bring him up and we'll run him. So Donald Trump wins, and he wins big. He wins 60%. He, he, right now, the math is basically that there are something like 680 possible delegates, right? Well, let's see. There are, there are 734 total delegates available right now. Some of those are pledged. Some of those are unpledged. They're like 612 that are, that are pledged delegates. He has to win 392 delegates to get all the way there. A lot of the unpledged delegates are going to go for him. Pennsylvania, he will win. The unpledged delegates have already said they will probably vote for Trump on the first ballot if he wins, even though they are unpledged, which means that he really only needs to win 338 out of the remaining delegates, which really means that Donald Trump just has to hit about 50% of the remaining delegates, and, and, he, will, and he will be fine. So, you know, that, that puts Trump in, in very solid position, and he was basically saying that yesterday. This, this show is going to be about surrender 
and why people are surrendering and why that is not, in fact, a good idea. But if the surrender happens, it's not our surrender. It's not my surrender. I don't surrender to, as I say, a race between the spawn of Satan and the Antichrist. You know, if, I'm, if that is my choice between A and B, I choose C. Donald Trump yesterday, he says he won the delegates. He's the big winner. People are saying he's very disciplined. This is what disciplined Donald Trump looks like. It's really nice to win the delegates with the votes. You know, it's really nice. Nope. Nobody should be given delegates, which is a ticket to victory, and it's not a fair ticket. And even though we're leading by a lot and we can't be caught, it's impossible to catch us. Nobody should take delegates and claim victory unless they get those delegates with voters and voting. And that's what's going to happen. And you watch, because the people aren't going to stand for it. It's a crooked system. It's a system that's rigged. And we're going to go back to the old way. It's called you vote and you win. Okay, we're going to go back to the old way. It's called you vote and you win, except that that's not really how the process works. So let's take an example. Donald Trump won about 450,000, 500,000 votes in New York last night. He ended up with 90 to 91 delegates, right? That's, that's just the delegate count. Ted Cruz won 1.2 million votes in the state of Texas, 1.2 million votes, right? More than twice as many votes as Trump in the one in New York, Cruz won in Texas. He walked away with 101 delegates. So in other words, he won more than twice as many votes and yet ended up with almost the same number of delegates as Trump did in New York. This is a rigged system, but it's not rigged for Trump or for Cruz. It's rigged in favor of blue states that have not voted Republican in years and years and years and years. And that's the way that the system works. And we all knew this going in. And I had suggested going in, there are certain systemic advantages for people like Jeb Bush, people like Donald Trump, people who can do better in blue areas than folks like Ted Cruz. And so when he says, I won the delegates with the votes, well, realistically, you kind of didn't. You kind of didn't. Because the fact is that you won 60% of the vote, but you won nearly 100% of the delegates. So again, not really. Trump says, the race is basically over. You should all unite behind me. And the temptation of the establishment is to just do this. We don't have much of a race anymore, based on what I'm seeing on television. Senator Cruz is just about mathematically eliminated. And we've won another state. As you know, we have won millions of more votes than Senator Cruz, millions and millions of more votes than Governor Kasich. We've won, and now, especially after tonight, close to 300 delegates more than Senator Cruz. We're really, really rocking. We're really, really rocking. We have so many more delegates than Senator Cruz. Again, now he's arguing the delegates, notice. He's not arguing the popular vote margin because the popular vote margin still puts him at a plurality, but not even close to a majority. So now he's actually arguing that he's winning the delegate race, right? Five minutes ago, the delegates were the end of the world. Now the delegates are back to being his friends because he just won a bunch of delegates. And then Trump concluded that New Yorkers who voted for Cruz, they're not really New Yorkers in the first place. Cruz actually has a dislike for New York. And, you know, he came up with that whole thing with New York values, with a lot of anger about the city and about the state. And I think that he won't do very well. I think any New Yorker that votes for him would be uh, would be maybe not a New Yorker. Okay, any New Yorker votes for him wouldn't be a New Yorker. Presumably that worked because New Yorkers proclaimed to be thick-skinned, tough-minded, rude individuals. The root is right, but the thin, the thick skin is, is obviously not right. Okay, so 
Trump makes the case, right? I'm winning. I'm ahead. I have the most delegates. Give it to me. And the problem is that there is not really a good counterpunch from the Cruz campaign. The only good counterpunch is the one that Cruz won't say because he can't say it and that Republicans won't say because they don't want to say it. And that is Trump must be stopped. Trump himself must be stopped. It's not a principal argument about plurality versus majority. It's not an argument that the guy with the second most votes should come from behind, win 500 more delegates. It's not, an, it's not a great argument that you can recruit more delegates than Trump. Yes, that's the way the system works. That doesn't mean that people think the system is fair. You know, it, the system, there are two definitions of fairness. There's two definitions of fairness. There's the system is fair in that everyone knew the rules going in, and then there's the rules themselves aren't fair. Cruz is arguing number one. Trump is arguing number two, right? Cruz is saying everyone knew the rules going in. You can't claim unfairness when you knew the rules going in. Trump is arguing the rules themselves are skewed. The rules themselves are a problem. You can't overcome that because even Cruz is not willing to argue that the rules themselves are totally fair, right? So they're, they're, making, they're arguing past each other, and Trump's argument is, is a more effective argument that the rules are unfair, then Cruz's argument, yeah, the rules are unfair, but you knew the rules going in, so you don't get to bitch about it now. So Cruz, anyway, he comes forward and he says, well, we need to come together. The problem is all of Cruz's arguments can now be turned back on Cruz. This is what you're seeing now. Cruz is going to make a bunch of arguments. We're going to go through them. And they're being turned back on Cruz now by the Trump people and the media, especially media on the right, who desperately want Trump to wrap this thing up because they want to move, they're tired of this now. Now it's boring to them. They want to move on to the general election, the main match. They want to move on to the heavyweight battle between Trump and Hillary, the guy who gave money to Hillary and the woman who gave money to Hillary facing off against each other in a general election. Cruz gave a speech last night in Philadelphia. It was an onward to victory speech. All of these speeches always ring weird after you get absolutely just devastated in an election. Here's Senator Cruz. Join me now on this journey of less talk and more action, real solutions because I know you. You may have been knocked down, but America has always been best when she is lying down with her back on the mat and the crowd has given the final count. It is time for us as a nation to get up, to shake it off and be who we were destined to be. Don't let anyone try to convince you otherwise. Here's the truth. You don't need me or any politician. But we do need each other, all of us, coming together as one, as we the people. Okay, so... Because not only do we say... Yeah. He's making the case we need all to come together now. First of all, very awkwardly worded speech, you know, for him to say that America's at, at her best when her back is on the mat. You might want to rewrite that one in the future. Not, not really the, the world's best choice of verbiage there by Senator Cruz, but his idea is that we all have to come together. I'll tell you the problem with that in just a second. First, however, if you're concerned about your privacy, if you're concerned that the government is looking at your emails, if you're concerned that the corporations are using your email data in order to market to you, you don't want anybody getting into your personal business, then you need to go to reaganprivacy.com and you need to get an email address, your name at reagan.com. So Ben Shapiro at reagan.com. And reaganprivacy.com, it guarantees you a couple things. One, you get to be associated with Reagan, the last good president of the United States. And the second thing is that all of your data will be protected. Unlike a lot of other email providers like Google and Yahoo and AOL and Hotmail, Reagan does not, does not copy or give any information to the government or to the, or to the marketing companies that seek it and pay a lot of these companies for the privilege. So this is Reagan.com, ReaganPrivacy.com. It's where you go. And if you go there right now, you get two months for free, which is a pretty solid deal, ReaganPrivacy.com. Com. Okay, so you heard Senator Cruz give his unity speech right after Donald Trump gave his war-winning speech. 
the human tendency, the normal human tendency is when you're down to quit, right? That it's not that, that when you, when it looks like the battle is lost, you just give up, right? Enough. Okay. We're wasting time. Let's just move on to the general election. Let's just consolidate around somebody. And there are people who I know and like who have said this sort of thing. Right? Dennis Prager has said this morning, he spent the entire morning basically saying Trump is lying about the delegates. And then he says, well, but if it comes down to Trump versus Hillary, then I'll still vote for Trump because Democrats are worse, which will bring us to our second argument in such a moment in a moment. So what they say, so Cruz says unity. The Cruz opponents, the Trump supporters, and people who are just tired of this, they say, okay, unity? Well, we're not going to get unity because Trump is threatening to blow apart the party with the suicide bomb. So he'll just destroy the party wholesale. He'll, he'll nuke the convention. So if we want unity, we have to go with Trump. It's the only way. The only way that we come together is if we go along with the blackmail and we just come together around Donald Trump. So the unity argument is used against Cruz. And then Cruz has to fall back on the second argument. Right. Because what they say is what, what Prager, many others would say. I don't, first of all, I, I'm not saying Dennis votes for Trump in a primary. He wouldn't. He doesn't like Trump. But there are a lot of other people who are saying, OK, enough is enough. Let's let's just consolidate and move on. The second argument, that's, the, the argument they make is, OK, we need unity. And the reason we need unity is at least Trump is better than Hillary. At least Trump is better than Hillary. And the problem with that is that they say Trump is, is going to be better than Hillary. I don't believe that for the conservative movement or for the country, Trump is necessarily better than Hillary. I think Hillary's a disaster area and Trump is a disaster area. I can't tell the future, but I can say I can say that Trump is a that Trump is a disaster for the conservative movement. And if he's a disaster for the conservative movement, then he's a disaster for the country. In any case, Ted Cruz's father makes the counter argument to Dennis's Trump is at least better than Hillary. He says Trump will actually be worse than Hillary. I agree with Cruz's father. Here's the here's the explanation. We've got to realize Donald Trump really is more of a Democrat than a Republican. He has been funding Republic, uh, Democratic uh, people like Chuck Schumer, like Harry Reid, like Anthony Weiner, like de Blasio, and many others. For 40 years, he's been, he's been supporting all these ultra-liberal politicians. He would be worse than Hillary Clinton, but he cannot beat Hillary Clinton. If you want to have Republican leadership, the only alternative is a constitutional conservative like Ted Cruz who will win uh, by, also by a landslide. Okay, so his argument is basically that Trump is a leftist in cheap's clothing, which is true. As I've argued this a million times. I've gone through all of Trump's policies. He agrees with Bernie Sanders on trade. He agrees with the nativists on, on immigration. He agrees with with leftist policies on big government and redistribution of wealth. He's, he's somebody who agrees with the idea that entitlements have to stay. He doesn't want a bigger military. He wants an isolationist foreign policy. On social policy, he is, he is an awkward advocate at best, and in reality, he doesn't really care about social policy. He believes that same-sex marriage should stay how it is at the Supreme Court level, and he believes that abortion really should stay how it is on the national level. I, all these things, I think, are true of Trump, but here's the problem. On the one hand, you have Cruz arguing, we need to come together. On the other hand, because he has to, he's arguing, so back up. He says, we need to come together. Then the Trump people say, okay, let's come together around me. So Cruz's argument, it has to be, he can't make the argument, I'm better than Trump because he's losing to Trump. So the argument has to be, but Trump is worse than whoever comes next. Trump is worse than Hillary. But he can't make that argument and still call for unity. Because if you make the argument that Trump is worse than Hillary, unifying behind me, then you're telling all the Trump supporters that they're supporting somebody who's worse than Hillary. They don't unify behind Cruz. So these are two mutually exclusive arguments, and Trump is, is utilizing the conflict between the two arguments 
to run down the middle. Unify around me, and I'm better than Hillary. And these are arguments that, that a lot of people are falling for. One of the people who apparently has fallen for this is Sean Hannity. Sean has become a, a very strong advocate for Donald Trump. In the past few months, there are a lot of people who have noted that, that Sean seems to be giving very favorable coverage, coverage to Trump. He's given him well over 40 interviews. He tends to coach him through the Trump interviews. That's his prerogative. It's his show. He can do that. What I object to is Sean or anybody else not making their biases clear. If you've been listening to the show for any period of time, you know I support Senator Cruz and that I think that Donald Trump is, as I put it, on national television, a smoking garbage heap of human debris. Right? I, I think he's terrible. What I object to is, this, is that, that Sean has been doing the same thing a lot of the folks in the mainstream media have been doing. And I don't think he's, I don't know that he's doing it consciously. There are a lot of folks in the mainstream media who pretend they are objective when they clearly have biases. Sean clearly likes Trump more than he likes Cruz. It comes out in this interview. Here's what it sounded like when Trump asks Cruz about the, you're winning delegates without the popular vote routine, and Cruz answers him, and Sean doesn't like the answer. People that, I guess, on the first ballot... Are, are going to Donald Trump, but, the, but representatives of yours talk to them and are persuading them to vote for you on a second ballot. That is an important question because I think most people would like to know how this works, and I'm really am asking you, it's more than a process question. It's an integrity of the election question, and everybody's asking me this question, so I want, I'm giving you an opportunity to explain it. Sean, the, the only people asking this question are the hardcore Donald Trump supporters. Why do you do this every single time? I No, you've got to stop. Every time I have you on the air and I ask a legitimate question, you try to throw this in my face. I'm getting sick of it. I've had you on more than any other candidate on radio and TV. So if I ask you, Senator, a legitimate question to explain to the audience, why don't you just answer it? Sean, can I answer your question without being interrupted? Go ahead. In the last three weeks, there have been five elections in five states. Utah, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Colorado, Wyoming. We've won all five. Over 1.3 million people voted in those five states. We won all five. All of this noise and complaining and whining has come from the Trump campaign because they don't like the fact that they've lost five elections in a row, that Republicans are uniting behind our campaign, so they're screaming on Drudge, and it's getting echoed. This notion of voterless election, it is nonsense. They are making it up. Over 1.3 million people voted. We won landslides in all five. Now, there is a second component beyond the elections, which is the individual delegates are elected by the people. Donald Trump's campaign does not ha know how to organize on the grassroots. Okay, and so when the delegates are... So everything Cruz is saying here is true. What led to the outburst from Hannity about, you're not answering my questions, you have to answer my questions, it's terrible you won't answer my questions, you keep coming on here and accusing me of things, was that Trump, is that Hannity had asked him the question twice. First, Cruz tried to misdirect Jobs. Then he gave an answer that Hannity didn't like, and then basically you heard Hannity essentially say that the elections are rigged, right? It, that's what he's saying. When he says this calls into question the integrity of the elections, the elections are rigged, he's saying to, to Cruz, you're cheating, basically. And so Cruz responds with, the only people who think I'm cheating are Trump people, and Hannity says, basically, how dare you call me a Trump person? Okay. It, again, if Sean wants to back Trump, that's his prerogative. It's, it, Levin backs Cruz. I back Cruz. You know, there, there are a lot of people who back different candidates. That's okay. But let's take a different example. But Sean is saying that he treats all the candidates at least relatively equally. He has Trump on a lot. He has Cruz on a lot. The day after Donald Trump went on national TV and was asked about the KKK by Jake Tapper and David Duke, who had expressed their support, for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump pretended he didn't know who either of these people were. He didn't know what the group was. He never heard of the KKK. And David Duke was just some weird guy he'd never heard of, right? Literally the day after that happened, 
Sean did a 30-minute interview with Donald Trump, a 30-minute interview. Zero times in that 30-minute interview did he ask him about that issue. So he says, I'm getting this question a lot from people who are asking me about you know, the, the election cycle and how this is working, and I feel like I have to ask you the question. He doesn't feel the need to ask Donald Trump very many hard questions. And again, his prerogative, his prerogative. But the media, I think that Sean is endemic of, of a media establishment that have decided that, that Trump is going to be the guy. And Fox, there are a lot of folks at Fox News who have decided Trump is going to be the guy. It's not just Sean who's, who, who likes the idea of Trump as the nominee. Obviously, Andrea Tanteros likes it. The folks at Fox and Friends like it. Eric Bowling likes it. There are a lot of people on the Trump train over at Fox headquarters. There are a lot of people on the Trump train at the New York Post. There are some people on the Trump train at the Wall Street Journal. There are lots of people who are on the Trump train, and so they're buying into the dueling Trump narratives of, I'm winning, but they're not going to give it to me, so they're cheating me. And also, you need to unify behind me because I will be better than Hillary. And Cruz doesn't have a great comeback to either of these unless he's willing to say what his father says, and he's not. Right? He's not. He's not willing to say that Trump will be worse than Hillary. I fully believe that for conservatism, Trump will be worse than Hillary because he will rip away the heart of conservatism, plant in its place an ugly nationalist populism that does not represent anything conservatism, and then call it conservatism, damning generations of conservatives to have to fight within the conservative movement for the meaning of conservatism. That's what, that's what Donald Trump has done. But again, the media are, are now interested in consolidating and ending this whole thing. They want this race to be over. They want this race over right now. And technically, it's still not over. Technically, it's still not over. I am with Andrew Clavin. You know, yesterday, Clay, I heard Clavin on his show. He said, if, if Trump comes up one delegate short, then Cruz should not only attempt to take the nomination from Donald Trump, who doesn't own it. He shouldn't only attempt to take the nomination. He should also steal his underwear and tie his shoelaces together. I am fully on board with this. Whatever it takes within the rules, within the rules to stop Donald Trump, I'm willing to do. If he wins outright, then he wins outright. And that's just the way the rules work. I'm not willing to change the rules in order to stop Donald Trump, and then people will get what they deserve because I'm not going to show up to the polls. And by the way, the idea that all the never-Trump people, that all of us are to blame if Trump loses, you can't have it both ways, gang. I've been hearing nothing, nothing from the Trump people, but you never-Trump people don't matter. You're a minority. Get on the train or you'll be run over. You're, you're a nonsensical movement that has no consolidated hold. It doesn't matter what you do. Okay, you can't claim that we're ineffective and then blame us if, if your boy loses the election. If your boy's such a powerhouse, he can run to the nomination without us, then boy, oh boy, shouldn't he be such a powerhouse that he can run all the way to the presidency without me? Shouldn't he? Or does he need my vote, it turns out? And if he needs my vote, then perhaps he should stop acting like the Donald Trump that we've seen for the past few months. Because if you'll recall, there are some people who are never Trump all along. I'm a recently converted never Trump guy on the calendar. Right? I always thought there were questions about Trump. But very early on, I was enthusiastic about the idea that Donald Trump was going to speak some truth to people who needed to hear it that Donald Trump was going to raise issues that other people couldn't because he was a celebrity. I wrote all about this at the time. And then Donald Trump gradually revealed himself like the layers of an onion. He gradually burned off the layers of the onion to reveal that deep down inside of him is a leftist core and an arrogant narcissism that cannot be shaken. And that's when I got off the train. If you want to win people over, I don't understand the argument from the Trump folks. The argument from the Trump folks is Trump deserves to win the nomination. And in fact, he should be handed the nomination because Donald Trump is, is winning all the votes, right? He's winning all the votes, and therefore Donald Trump should be handed the nomination. And, and more than that, he should be given the nomination because he's bringing in people that Romney couldn't. Okay, you can't argue those people should be pandered to, but if I decide to stay home because I don't like Donald Trump, then I should be punished, right? You got to cater to someone. You can either cater to the, the, the conservative movement or you can cater to the people who stayed home for Mitt Romney because they were too upset with the idea that they were being outcompeted by foreign sources of labor, for example, or they were too upset 
that Mitt Romney wasn't overtly endorsing the alt-right. But again, all of, all of Trump's media friends have come to the rescue. Joe Scarborough, who's specifically named as one of, as one of Trump's media friends uh, in, uh, in, in a new lawsuit from Sherry Jacobus, Joe Scarborough says that if Cruz came in, this is before the election, if Cruz came in third in New York, he should basically drop out. The election should be over. And they're working with a candidate who is special, who has, who has talents without a doubt. But getting the delegates and, and mastering the rules, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, they're this going part, from a standing start. Is... You, you watch the power of the headlines of this massive New York landslide. You watch the power of the landslide in Pennsylvania, in Connecticut, across the Northeast. I've said it for some time. If you want to stop a front runner, you stop them when they're leaving South Carolina. I will tell you there is a cumulative impact, Mike, and it's like you're 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 going down a hill and the hill gets steeper and and the you know, everything starts going faster. It's going to uh, Ted Cruz and if Ted Cruz finishes in third place, I'm sorry, uh, the his entire argument goes up in smoke. I don't dis I don't disagree with you on that. His entire argument goes up in smoke if, if New Yorkers, the same people who just elected Bill de Blasio, don't like him. Right? If New York, a state that has not gone Republican since 19... When, when's the last time New York went Republican? It's been a long time. It's 84, I think. Since, since Ronald Reagan, they haven't gone Republican in New York. It's, it's been a while. Maybe 88. It's been, been a long time. 84, for sure. Uh, the, yeah, 84 was the last time they went Republican. That's the state that decides who the Republican nominee should be. The media are ready to consolidate. They're ready for this to be over. They want their unity. Rudy Giuliani says the same thing. He says these never-Trump people, they need to calm down and just get behind the guy. They just need to get behind Trump. we got to calm this down. We need some objectivity. I have a lot of very good friends who you know uh, that don't support Donald Trump. I, I want to bring them along. I, I think it's possible to bring them along because I know... When they calm down, and I've been in tough elections, and I know what happens when you calm down, they're going to realize that Donald Trump is much better for this country than Hillary Clinton. What do you make of what's happening on the delegate side of things? In other words, you this, this is going to turn some of those delegates. You know, you know, some of those delegates that were moving toward Cruz, move, when they see a big win in New York like, like this, when they see the kind of cross-sectional support that Trump has that Cruz does not have, when they see that tiny little number that Cruz got in New York, now how could he ever win New York? How could he ever win Massachusetts? How could he ever how could he ever win California? You think Trump can win those states? I think those Trump are is, deep blue states. I think Trump is viable in some almost of those states. Ev everywhere. Trump is Hillary's worst nightmare. She, Why do you say that? I, I say that because she knows how to run against against Senator Cruz. Mm -hmm. Straight fastball over the middle of the plate. They've been hitting that one out of the park for years. Donald Trump, as I described once before, is a Mariano Rivera cut fastball. You don't know where he's coming at you. That's true. And, and for if I were her, and I, I mean this honestly, if I were her, I would want to run against uh, Senator Cruz. This is no disrespect to Senator Cruz. I have great respect for okay, him. So, the, so, so now against... they're already moving on to general election talk, right? Trump will beat Hillary. Trump will not beat Hillary. Okay, again, Hillary last night got more than two times as many votes in the state of New York as Donald Trump, and he's the one bragging about his massive turnout. She got over a million votes in the state of New York. He got 500,000 votes in the state of New York. And she more than doubled his output. She crushes him in New York. She crushes him in Massachusetts. This argument, this electoral argument in favor of him doesn't work either. But again, the point is, even the left media, they're now consolidating around the... And, and you knew this was how the narrative was going to shift. So here's what I'm going to say to you today. Don't be taken in by the narrative that this has to be over. 
Don't be taken in by the narrative that Trump has to be the nominee. Don't be taken in by the idea that the only way we achieve unity is if these Trumpsters get what they want and the Cruz people just sit down and shut up and conservatives just go home and, and cry. Right? Don't, don't be taken in by that. Don't be taken in by the idea that Donald Trump, if he gets anywhere close to the nomination, he has to be handed it lest Hillary win the presidency. I don't believe that, number one. And number two, Donald Trump is a bad man. I am not in the habit of putting bad men in positions where they get to win power. This is not what I stand for. And so I'm not going to stand with that, and neither should anybody else, despite the kind of, let's just move on and let's attack Hillary Clinton. Let's not spend more time on Trump. I get this all the time from people because I've spent my entire career attacking the left. And again, people ask, okay, why do you spend your career attacking the left and then attack Donald Trump? Because Donald Trump is the left. You infiltrate my party, you infiltrate my ideology, and then you try to bend it to your populist, tyrannical, authoritarian, centralized narcissism will. And I'm going to have more of an objection to that than the left being, I expect Hillary to be a snake. I expect Hillary to be a snake. There's a difference between a snake in the garden and a snake in my kitchen. Okay, they, get they, they get treated slightly differently. And Donald Trump is a snake in, in my kitchen, for sure. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, Hillary's already, already consolidated. So she, she's won, and now she is, she's ready to, to do to— basically, she's trying to do to Sanders what, what Trump is trying to do to Cruz, although Hillary actually will win this outright, whereas it's still questionable whether Trump can— Hillary is obviously pivoting to the general election. She's trying to appeal. She's doing something Trump didn't. You didn't see Trump turn to the Cruz people and say, look, I'm a conservative. I know we've had our fights with, with, with Ted Cruz. I know that we've, we've had our disagreements about policy, but I'm better than Hillary, and here's why. He spent zero minutes doing that last night. Hillary did exactly that with regard to the Bernie Sanders supporters last night in New York State. Here's, by the way, Bernie Sanders won more votes in New York State than Donald Trump did. Okay, the second-place finisher in New York won more votes than Donald Trump did. Here's Hillary saying... Time to move on to the general. Bernie Sanders, line up behind me. And to all the people who supported Senator Sanders, I believe there is much more that unites us than divides us. I hope you will join the 1.1 million people who've already contributed at HillaryClinton.com. And by the way, most with less than $100, because we have more work to do. Under the bright lights of New York, we have seen that it's not enough to diagnose problems. You have to explain how you'd actually solve the problems. Okay, so, so there's Hillary Clinton apparently wearing her mother's carpet. Yeah, I'm not sure. She, her, her, her sartorial choices are, are deeply lacking. Hillary Clinton says, okay, we're going to come around me, come around me, and now we're going to go attack the Republicans. Right? We're gonna, that's not an argument. You, you heard that argument from Cruz. You didn't hear that argument from Trump. You didn't hear that argument from Trump because the Trump people are vindictive and they're going to come after anybody who disagrees with Trump. And that's just the way that this is going to go. This doesn't have to be handed to Trump. Hillary already is preparing for the general. This, the fact that this Herodin, the most, the most defeatable Democrat candidate in you know, in modern history, that this is the, that this person is likely to be the next president. The betting markets, by the way, have her upward of 70 percent in terms of winning not only the nomination, but the presidency itself. And the fact that she is, is so eminently defeatable, but she is going to be able to win because we're going to nominate somebody like Donald Trump uh, is is quite astonishing. OK, time for some things that I like and then some things that I hate. So first, something a couple of things that I like. So yesterday I spoke at uh, I spoke at. A Young America's Foundation event over at um, over at, at a college 
uh, in Santa Barbara. And they tried, the, the college did their best to sort of shut down the events as best they could without formally shutting it down. So they forgot to put out signs directing people where to go. It was a packed house anyway. Uh, they, they insisted that a professor both preface and also finish my speech with little statements at the beginning and end to, to kind of surround my evil statements so that he could, he could put them in their proper, their proper context. Uh, and they insisted there be no taping. Uh, and so we came up with a creative solution to the, we're not going to allow you to tape this and we're not going to allow you to stream this. Uh, I just taped the whole thing myself on a selfie stick because there's no violation of privacy if I give me permission to tape me. So this is what it looked like yesterday uh, at this college. So, number one, for people watching me online, the reason you got this odd angle is because I give me permission to tape me. Okay, because Westmont has these ridiculous rules about people not taping people for public reasons. I am a fan of tape for the same reason I am a fan of cops wearing body cams. I think the tape allows people to understand what is and is not happening in given places. So instead of there being a bunch of varying reports, this is, and this is reflecting on me. Okay, so first of all, thanks to Young America's Foundation. And then it went on like that. So we, we did the entire speech with me holding the selfie stick. Uh, this is what I've been working out for and training for all of these years. And for people who are asking, no, that's not my selfie stick. That, in fact, is Lindsay's selfie stick. So thank you, thank you Lindsay, uh, for being narcissistic enough to own a selfie stick. Really appreciate it. <laughs> okay, other things that I like. So we've been doing musicals this week, things that I like, musicals. There's a, there's a great musical I'm sure a lot of people know called The King and I, and, and there are a couple numbers from The King and I that are very famous, but one of the lesser-known numbers from The King and I, which is really quite grand, is a, a number called Something Wonderful, and the lyrics to it are just beautiful. So yesterday we talked about masculinity in musicals. We talked about how Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was about the notion that the male aggressive instinct must be channeled toward marriage and procreation and creation and protection, right? This is that, that's what Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is about. Uh, this is a scene in, Seven Bri in, um, in King and I, which is my wife's favorite musical, uh, in which one of the wives, it's the King of Siam, so he has many, many wives, but his kind of chief wife, his number one wife, um, she sings this song about why she sticks with the king, even though the king is a tyrant uh, and, and is personally authoritarian, uh, and, and here's what she sings, and it's quite beautiful. Please, Lady Tiang, I, I simply cannot go to him, especially without his having asked for me. What more can I say to you? This is a man who thinks with his heart, his heart is not always wise. This is a man who stumbles and falls, but this is a man this is a man you forgive and forgive and help and protect as long as you
sentiment which is what a wife is for and there's also what a husband is for by the way what a wife is for that that last line that she says there and the oscar hammerstein is an unparalleled lyricist i mean this is what good lyrics sound like it's not about the showy it's not about how many syllables you can fit in a line it's about the conveying of human emotion in terms that people can understand with rhythm and lilt and it's just it's beautiful that 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 last line he 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 has a thousand dreams that won't come true. You know that he believes in them, and that's enough for you. And it's a beautiful sentiment because it's true for everyone. It's true for everyone. We all have dreams that won't come true. But if you love somebody, then you believe in the dream because you believe in the person. And even if they don't achieve the dream, you've achieved a dream by being part of, of, of the journey toward that with, with the person you love. It's an, it's an amazing sentiment, and it's, it's a beautiful musical. It really is. And don't bother seeing any of the newer versions. Go back. Watch the movie. The movie's really good. Uh, Marnie Nixon sings for Deborah Carr. Uh, and um, and Yul Brenner, of course, gives one of the iconic screen performances and stage performances of all time. You want a Tony? He is the only king in The King and I. It's, it's, it's a great musical. Okay, so now for a couple of things that I hate. So today, this is actually not a thing I hate. Today, they announced that Andrew Jackson, who was, in fact, a very bad guy, will be taken off the $20 bill in favor of Harriet Tubman. This is generally fine with me. Uh, I think that there's a good reason to take Jackson off the 20 I think there's a good reason to put Harriet Tubman on some sort of monument, I don't know if the 20 is, is the best place. Uh, you know, it seems to me that there are, there are people like Ronald Reagan would probably be a better choice for me because I don't make a judgment as to who should be put on money based on we need a woman, we need a black person, or any of the rest of it. Harriet Tubman is just as deserving as a lot of other people, and she was a hero, and by the way, a gun-toting Republican, so there's that. But Harriet Tubman, you know, who uh, the, the, I think there's an open question as to whether Harriet Tubman is more deserving of being on money than, say, Ronald Reagan. But I don't think that there's any question that Harriet Tubman is more deserving of being on money than Andrew Jackson. That, I think, is, is almost inarguable. So that I have no problem with as a general matter at all. There are some people like Ben Carson who are very upset about this. It's like, Ben, you just endorsed Donald Trump. Like, you know, like, really, this is where you're going to put your energies. OK, the, the, I do have one objection. The objection is the, the Alexander Hamilton's on the 10. He stays on the 10. It's the reason he stays on the 10. So the reason that he stays on the 10 is not because he deserves to stay on the 10, which he does as the father of monetary policy in the country. The reason that Alexander Hamilton stays on the 10 is because a bunch of effete Upper West Side leftists like the musical Hamilton. This is really what it is. And they like this musical. And therefore, and they didn't know anything about Hamilton until they watched this musical, right? They hadn't read Ron Chernow's book. They didn't know a damn thing about him. But they knew, but now there's a musical with a bunch of people of color starring as the Founding Fathers and as Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and rapping about it. And now they realized Hamilton's cool, so we have to leave him. So I object to this on two grounds. One, if you are so stupid that you're voting for the popularity of the Founding Fathers based on somebody writing a bad musical, you shouldn't be making policy at all. Okay, it's just dumb. And, and my next hope, by the way, is that somebody writes a bad rap musical about the Constitution, and maybe the left will decide to defend that too. Because apparently that's how leftists decide to like things, is if somebody writes a crappy rap musical about it. The second thing I don't like is the actual musical itself. So there are a couple things I want to say about Hamilton the musical. I mentioned it yesterday, and a lot of people I know, friends who have seen it, who, don't, who, who love it, who just think it's great. Okay, I have listened to it. I think it is garbaggio. I think that it is crapola. Not the plot. The plot is fine, because it turns out the plot is very close to Hamilton's actual history, which is fascinating. What I hate about Hamilton the musical is really two things. One is the idea behind Hamilton the Musical and the reason that it's cast with a bunch of minority folks 
is specifically because the idea is we have to bring it to a younger generation who won't understand it if it's a bunch of white people who are walking around singing about things, right? It has to be people of color. This is racist. This is racist. When I was growing up, I grew up, as I've mentioned before, on the musical 1776. There are this many Jews in 1776, right? I'm making a big zero with my hand, folks. There are zero Jews in 1776. I used to dress up as John Adams every single Purim, right? Every, that's like the Jewish Halloween. Every single time I would dress up as John Adams, I had the full-length red coat, I had the white powdered wig, I had the whole deal. Right? I used to tuck my, my, my pants into my socks, right? So I had the knee breeches. Like, I used to do the whole deal. That, I didn't need John Adams to be a Jew, right? This comes from the same place where people decide that Jesus has to, if you're white, Jesus has to look like an Aryan, or if you're black, Jesus was black, right? This is this whole routine where I can only root for people who look like me, right? I'm sorry, but most people don't look like you. People are either good or bad based on what they do, not on what they look like. So the idea that if you had cast Hamilton as a white guy, because he was actually a white guy, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear the excuse for casting Martin Luther King as a white guy because we, we have to make his message appeal to white people, right? So the, it's, it's, all, it's, it's backwards. If you, if you have trained your children that the only people they can root for are people who look like you, you have done a terrible job with your children. So maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's, that's the tribal world in which we now live. If so, it's an ugly world, and I don't like it. The second reason I don't like Hamilton is, is the critics are just going nuts for this thing. I've listened to it, and this is not a work of craft. It's not a work of craft. I was talking to my father about this yesterday because my dad writes musicals. And we were talking about the fact that if you look at classical music, right, Cla the worst classical musicians, the people who you don't, the, the composers I don't like, right, I'm not a big fan of Wagner. The man was a master at his craft. He at least knew how to write music. Right? He knew how to write for all the various instruments. He knew how to orchestrate. It took him time to learn. He didn't fall out of bed one morning and, they, and then write Tristan and Isolde. Right? That's not what happened. Right? And this is true for most things in life. I, I, I tend to like crap, particularly in the arts. People who have had training, and now that, now that you have the training, sometimes you can violate rules or write new rules, but you have to at least have had the training. Right? And it's reflected in what you do. This is why I hate rap, because there are a bunch of people who think that they're rappers because they woke up one morning and discovered how to rhyme, as Jeremy Boring put it, like a third grader. And now, okay, now I'm a craftsman. No, you're not a craftsman. If, if you decided to be something today and you're good at it four hours from now, it's not a craft. Okay, It didn't take craft and it didn't take skill. There's a great scene in a movie called Whiplash, which I've recommended highly. Great movie. There's a great scene where this guy who's a trained drummer is sitting at a table and he's talking about how there's this drum, there's this jazz competition, and somebody says to him, you know, isn't isn't the whole thing just subjective, right? Isn't it all just subjective? Is it can't like no one can tell who's better and who's worse? And he says, no, no, it's not subjective. It is not subjective. There is such a thing as objective skill. Okay, what I don't like about Hamilton is that objectively speaking, it does not take very much skill to write this musical. It doesn't. Okay, it's a lot of syllables. And, so, and the more syllables you have, actually, the easier it is to write lyrics because you have more room to play. Writing pitter-patter lyrics is actually the easiest thing. The hardest thing is to do what you saw Hammerstein do there, which is write the lyrics and you don't even notice the lyricist. You don't even notice him. He's just there. Right? Like the, the person is speaking and you don't even know who wrote the lyrics. The problem I have with Sondheim generally is that you can tell it's Sondheim. It's like Aaron Sorkin's writing in movies. It's always Aaron Sorkin. And you go, oh, that's a brilliant line because that's a Sorkin line. But you're not supposed to notice. Right? It's supposed to be the character who's saying the line. Well, in Hamilton, it, it is this. It's just it's it's somebody who fell out of bed one morning and said, "I'm going to write a, a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton." So, by way of contrast, I'm going to show you what craft looks like versus what craft does not look like. This is the opening number from Hamilton the musical. We're not going to show the video, but here's what it sounds like. And then I'm going to play you what is probably the best musical theater number ever written, which is the there's a there's 
the, the very end of a, of a quartet, actually it's a quintet, uh, in, in Sweeney Todd, which I've referred to before, but we haven't played on the show. Here's, here's the segment from Hamilton. I'll explain what I don't like about it, pretty much everything, and then we'll get to, to Sweeney, just to show you the back-to-back contrast of craft versus no craft. Here's, here's no craft. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar the ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being a self-starter by 14 they placed him in charge of a trading charter and every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up inside he was longing for something to be a part of the brother was ready to beg steal borrow or barter Okay, so, okay, we can stop there. Okay, so this is, it goes on like this for four solid minutes. There's no melody. There's no harmony, right? It's just, it's just rhythm. And this is my problem with rap generally. I'll also point out that there are a lot of forced rhymes that aren't actually rhymes there, right? Father does not rhyme with harder. Okay, they're not even close, right? They, when they see, he says slaughtered and carded. Carded does not rhyme with slaughtered, right? These are, these, this is very sloppy rhyming. So just from a craft perspective, you know, he's using the accent to cover for the fact that, that these things do not rhyme. And if you speak vaguely, then these things sort of sound the same, but not really. Right. So, they, so that's 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 real. That's it's not precise. It's imprecise. And imprecise is sloppy and sloppy is bad craft. Beyond that, no, if, if your entire theme underneath is just you hitting two notes on a piano, I'm sorry. No. OK, now here is what craft looks like. OK, this is the second half of a number called Kiss Me from Sweeney Todd. Uh, this is the second act. And what you're going to hear is. Two lovers singing with each other, and they're both very frantic, which is why they're speaking very quickly. And then above them, you're going to hear the beetle, who's the, the constable, the town constable, and the judge, who is the bad guy. And you're going to hear, and, and, and also, and I believe it's just the four of them in this particular number. So it's, it's the four of them, and it is just magnificent. Here's, here's what actual craft sounds like, trained, honed by Stephen Sondheim over the course of decades. Right, The guy started by writing the lyrics to West Side Story, infinitely more sophisticated than anything in the Alexander Hamilton musical. Here, but here's Sweeney Todd. This is the best thing Sondheim ever wrote right here. He means to marry me Monday. What shall I do? I'd rather I die. Have a plan. I'll swallow poison on Sunday. That's what I'll do. I'll get some I time. have a plan. Oh dear, was that a noise? A I think I heard a noise. A Could it be? He's a court. He's a court today. Still, that was a noise. Wasn't that a noise? You must have heard that. Kiss me. Oh, sir. Oh, miss. Oh, sir. If he should marry me Monday, what shall I do? I'll die. We fly tonight. It's Friday, virtually Sunday. What can we do when time's so We fly tonight. Behind the curtain, quick. Tonight. I think I heard a click. Tonight. It was the gate. It's the gate. It's not a gate. It's not a gate. This is crap. Right? This is crap. This is unity of lyric and melody and harmony. 
It's every person in the show actually is a master of their craft. They've actually studied. Right? I mean, this is, this is what craft sounds like. So I don't like when art is degraded to no craft. It's just art can be anything. I don't think art can be anything. I think if you want to define it that way, it's meaningless. Either if you want to say that art is anything, fine. Good art. Good art requires craft. It requires craft. And I don't hear that in Hamilton. And that's what annoys me. And the kind of sycophantic love for it, which reminds me very much of the sycophantic love for Rent, just because people love the concept of it, even though Rent's a horrible music. It's garbage. Rent is gar- pure garbage. It's a, it, it's, it's the, it's, rent is the, the town dump that you can see from space that exists in New York. It's that bad. You know, the, but, the, but the worship for these musicals is largely based on concept. So I guarantee you, if Hamilton starred a bunch of white people and it were orchestrated the way that Sweeney Todd is, the critics would have nothing for it, nothing. Right? But it's a hip-hop musical about founding fathers who are black, um, and so therefore you get away with it, and that's just the way that, that the critics work. Okay, a couple of quick things that I hate. One is uh, there's, there's a piece now from Daily Beast suggesting that North Carolina's transgender law, which is, which is saying that basically you have to go to the bathroom in the place where you are biologically, that matches your biological sex, they're saying people are committing suicide because of this. And they're saying they're, they're getting more calls to suicide hotlines. The suicide rate in the transgender community is 40%. Okay, that has nothing to do with transgender laws. San Francisco has a 40% suicide rate. North Carolina has a 40% suicide rate. Mental illness that is comorbid with depression has a very high suicide rate. That's what's happening in the transgender community, suggesting it's just people being mean to transgenders, so they're killing themselves. This is ridiculous. Why weren't, why weren't black people who weren't allowed to use white water fountains killing themselves? Why? Right? I mean, back during segregation days, why weren't the suicide rates 40% among black people who couldn't use white water fountains? And there were actual signs there that said, white water fountain only. Right? Why weren't they killing themselves? Because this is a bunch of crap. That's why. Okay, second thing. University of North Carolina, a bunch of the feminist students, they've decided to embrace being just horrible human beings overall. And the way they've decided to embrace just being horrible human beings overall is they had a bake sale with cookies. The cookies were, were cut in the shape of babies. And then they broke apart the baby cookies to give reasons why abortion should remain legal. So they literally ate the heads off the baby cookies. So proving that evil now just enjoys itself totally, they, they are celebrating abortion. And this is not, no more safe, legal, and rare. Now it's, they're celebrating abortion. My personal favorite caption, for people who can't see, it shows these, these baby cookies, these quote-unquote fetus cookies. And you can see sperm cookies there, right? These fetus cookies that they're eating, they're legitimate. My favorite one is this caption right here. Let's see if I can read it. It says, my vagina is too pretty to let a fetus crawl out. Well, maybe your mouth is pretty too, but you're happy to let crap crawl out of that. And it turns out that your vagina wasn't too pretty to let a penis in, apparently. So, you know, this whole, this whole thing is just, it's, the left now revels in its sin. It's no longer enough to say, people sin, we have to deal with it. Now it's, we have to celebrate the sin. And if you don't celebrate the sin along with us, that means you're intolerant and terrible in every way. Well, I'm not somebody who celebrates sin. I'm not cel- somebody who celebrates the, the, the crudities and nastiness of, of the Trump campaign. I'm not somebody who celebrates the crudity and nastiness of the feminists. I'm not somebody who celebrates crudity and nastiness. I believe that, you know, to, to bring this all together, I believe that life is a craft, right? The better you practice, the better you're going to do. The better the decisions you make, the better your life will be, and the better the product will be. I don't believe the product is always equal, if you don't spend any time making your decisions, if you don't spend any time thinking things through, your elected officials are not better if you just rolled out of bed angry one day and voted for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Take some time to perfect your craft. Take some time to learn about the things that matter to you. Take some time to make your life a better place, and that will make other people's lives better and our politics better as well. 
We'll see you tomorrow, the mailbag tomorrow. And uh, we'll give a new number for last minute emails. New number for last minute emails. Here it is. And you got first priority. And, uh, and I, uh, I will see you tomorrow with the mailbag. Ben Shapiro, this is the Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let PureTalk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.